Are you going to start crying right as I start? Is that what you're going to do? You just be chill, okay? Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am here with my brand new little assistant producer, Matthew Christopher Spangle. He is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday old. So five days old. Um, Very exciting experience. So my wife gave birth to him. She's doing totally fine. He's doing totally fine. He is... Healthy and happy and a very good baby. You know, ah, poor room 304. We were room 307. 304 had a demon. I don't know what they had, but it was screaming. Uh, He just gets fussy when he's a little cold or he wants his mama. So uh, I just wanted to give you guys a, a little bit of an update and talk a little bit about this. I don't do a lot of personal stuff. As much as I used to, I intend to change that now that we're kind of through this very, I mean, the numbers reflect it. There's not as many people listening as there used to be. The show has kind of changed. Um, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to kind of do some things differently. I will do more monologues. We'll continue to have Harry and everybody as often as we can. But honestly, I don't think we've been able, it's june almost july and harry and i have not had a saturday matchup since darn near february so it's just it's gotten tougher and for those of you who love the panel show i completely understand why you stop subscribing um but there are still thousands of you listening and we really appreciate you all and i appreciate our patrons so much uh for for keeping everything going you know, but it, it's forcing me to think a little bit outside the box and what I want to do with this show for the future. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, I want to mix in some more personal stuff again and kind of make this a little bit more of a personal feed. But, you know, I wanted to talk about what this experience has taught me and kind of what I've learned over the last little bit. I I will start with the beginning. So if you've listened, this show is over 11 years old. Any of you who who have listened understand that I got divorced in the middle of this podcast. If you go back, if you're able to get the archives, if you're a patron, you can hear this episode. Um, But if you go back to February 2014, there's an episode where Gina, Greg, and I are doing an episode and I'm talking, talking, talking. And then I go silent, and that's because my ex-wife was packing up <laughs> and, and moving on, um, you know, and th- went through a very difficult period, a uh, very tough period personally. I was very open about it on the show um, and, and public with a lot of things. Probably wouldn't I, – I definitely have changed a lot um, since that period – and if you've listened for a long time, then you have maybe seen the change, or you really probably haven't gotten to experience the change as much just because the show hasn't been as personal. Um, and there's some good reasons for that. Um, the first reason was Greg leaving. It's a very difficult, difficult thing uh, that I won't really go into because... 
there's so much more to that story than what we talked about at the time. If you don't know who Greg is, then don't worry about it. But, you know, that period, I, I just was not very stable. I was not doing well. I was not being well served by several people in my life. I was making a tremendous amount of mistakes that I regret now. Um, you know, and, and I don't think I was a bad person, but I sort of, after that period, when Greg moved on, uh, Jeff Vibbert ended his podcast, um, another friend got divorced. There were just a lot of changes to the friend group at that time. And, and I became fairly leery of a lot of things, um, after that period, but through that period, you know, I just sort of started to take my faith a little bit more seriously. I became a Christian at 18. I had been an atheist, then a Buddhist, then a Christian, and became a zealot for the first five years, and then just sort of wasn't. And somewhere around 2018, I would say, I really, I heard a sermon that was impactful. I don't remember the details. I just remember listening to a sermon by someone, maybe at church or online, and kind of thinking about the platform that I had been given with this show and this brand and all of you listening, and why I would say I was a Christian, but I never talked about it. And it was because I realized I was a jerk. I was not someone that I would be embarrassed to say that I was a Christian because I knew that if people listened to me and then said I was a Christian, I didn't act like it. I was so antagonistic to other people on the air, off air. I I could go on and on about all the ways that I, I really wanted to change myself. And I, I still have that list. I think everybody should have a list of things that they really want to improve in their life. And if you don't think that you have a list of things that you ought to improve, then you really need to see somebody and get yourself some professional help. But, you know, I really started to dig in and take personal growth and my faith a lot more seriously. Because if you're going to say that you're a Christian, then you really ought to believe that. Um, you really ought to live that out. It can't just be a, a piece of your identity that you put on, but so much of my identity was just up in the air at that point. Uh, and... I'd say really since 2018, through some of those experiences, uh, quite frankly, some bad dating experiences, you know, bad experience with the co-host leaving, bad experience all around, kind of looking around going, what do I need to improve and in, in, in making my life better? And therapy was just such a huge part of that for me. You know, I, I one of the joys of the last week has been able, uh, being able to text my therapist pictures of this child because, you know, those four years, I was going to therapy twice a week for two years and then once a week for another two years. And going and talking with someone and reading self-help books and really starting to work on my relationship with Jesus and learning how to function as a better member of society it's just such a transformative period of time from 2016 to 2020 uh, and really opened the doors for my relationship with Reagan, um, which has just been a tremendous gift to both of us, but especially me. And 
you know, so kind of going back to that, I, I was dating someone and I just sort of realized like, I hate breaking up with people and having these horrible experiences and I'm just not going to do this anymore. And so I decided in 2018 that I would just stop dating, become completely celibate, really get comfortable with being lonely and the loneliness that I felt and, uh, you know, kind of focusing on just friendships and, and having good, healthy friendships with women, with men, with everybody. Um, and then, like, within a month of that, I met Reagan. And I had known Reagan a little bit. I'd slid into her DMs in, like, 2017. But I knew her mom from Libertarian stuff. She's a Libertarian. And was a vaguely aware of all of my stuff. And I had met uh, Reagan when she was, like, 18 at some Glenn Greenwald, Bruce Fine thing. You know, so they were always coming to Libertarian stuff, speaking, you know, at events where her mom was. Uh, and... You know, I just knew her as the lady that lived in southern Indiana with all the kids because she has 11 kids. My youngest brother-in-law is nine. <laughs> My wife is the oldest, uh, and I'm 10 years older than her. So I'm I'm almost as much a peer with her mom as I am <laughs> Reagan. But, uh, you know, so I, I knew her a little bit. I also knew um, her, her eventual husband, who I'm not going to talk too much about because it's still fairly contentious. You know, you've got uh, a wife that has a divorce with a child and there's a co-parenting relationship. Um, but I'm still going to, you know, that's a big part of why I stopped talking about my personal life was the fact that they were always in court and it's very contentious and I never wanted to put anything out. So, you know, the all these little things over the last few years of kind of having this relational fallout on the air with somebody that you co-hosted with uh, to sort of the destruction of your trust in friends to circles evaporating to, um, you know, dysfunctional relationships in real life, then finding someone that you just can build a life with, but you can't really talk about all the details or else it'll end up in a court transcript. But I feel like we're kind of past all that and I really don't care about the fallout. Um, because I'm not going to be uh, disrespectful in any way of anyone. But what I have gone through since 2019, 2018, has just been such a transformative period that has set me up for success in my personal and professional life. And I want to talk more about it. I want I want to kind of flesh some of this out and maybe how I got here. Not in this episode, but just overall over time. Um, and be a little more open with my faith and my family and, and talk a little bit more about that stuff. Uh, maybe even include Reagan in on some of those discussions. But, you know, when I met Reagan, it was, um, hold on, I got to put the passy back in his mouth. Here you go. There you go. There you go. As I said passy, I was like, yeah, someone's going to email me and say, oh, don't use a pacifier for this reason. One of the crazy things about this experience is all of the unsolicited advice that you get. Uh, and I get it by the dozens because of the different audiences that I work with. But um, people wondering, are you going to circumcise? Are you not going to circumcise? Are you using a pacifier? What are you doing with vaccinations? 
Uh, it's just really kind of insane. And and then also the the thing that I found really frustrating was the unsolicited advice about how I ought to treat Reagan. And I realized, oh, okay, this is not other people um, thinking I'm a bad person who's going to neglect my pregnant wife. It is their experiences with men who are just dog crap. You know, they're... Uh, like, I'm going to leave my nine-month pregnant wife to do everything, and then when we go to the hospital, I'm going to sit there and play on my phone while she's giving birth, and then when we get home, I'm just going to, you know, say, peace out, have fun, i got to go back to work, or, I, you know, i got other stuff that I've got to do, so I know you can't walk, just go ahead and wash the dishes. But that's sort of the unhelpful advice that you get as a guy, is treat your wife well, treat your wife well. And it's coming from women who had bad experiences. And I'm talking like dozens, uh, specifically from the pat down audience. And they're not saying that I'm that person, but you know, initially, especially when you're really tired from not sleeping in the first few days, you're like, who do you, I, I blew up at a friend. I go, who do you think I am? Do you think I'm not going to tell my wife she's doing great and beautiful and not cook for her? Like, what are you saying? Um, Unsolicited advice, I think, is a huge scourge, uh, and and just people need to keep their their advice to themselves. But going back to kind of how Reagan and I developed, you know, I kind of knew who she was. I knew her then um, a dating partner, an eventual husband, and. Uh, father of of my stepdaughter and they didn't work out in in very short order and you know then I was sort of nosy about what was actually going on there so I slid in DMs back in early 2019 just to kind of find out the story and we started developing a friendship through those conversations I first met my stepdaughter when she was three and a half three months old somewhere around there um, and just got to know the two of them, and it was a while before it turned romantic. Um, we definitely had feelings for each other, but when you have a small kid in the mix, like, she's thinking, who's this weirdo that wants to date someone with a newborn? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want any part of this drama. You know, so we we took our time. I think it was like five or six months of dating before we even kissed, but... You know, she had come from a fairly, um, she had a background a little bit like mine where, you know, fundamentally a good person, but had made some of the wrong choices and was very distrustful. And so was I. And over 2019, we just decided, like, let our actions speak louder than our words and just take our time to get to know each other. And it was such a great decision to put friendship first in dating and really get to know each other and spend time each, with each other on a friend level and, and delay anything romantic, let alone even anything sexual. We actually waited till we were married, um, which was two years. Uh, very difficult, but I think it was one of the best things that we ever did. It was... you When sex is in the mix it becomes about that and you don't really get to know the people that you're dating. You don't, you have all the biological devices like oxytocin that are 
bonding you quicker than maybe you should makes it more difficult to get out of the relationship. Uh, so it was really for both of us from the beginning, not going to be a sexual relationship It's also very difficult because before our honeymoon, we had maybe three dates, maybe four dates where it was just her and I. So, you know, you're always tagging along with the toddler. That's, you know, sexy times not happening. Um, it can be very difficult. So it was just a fun experience. And I really do sometimes miss those days where you know, I'm going to hang out or they're coming to hang out here. And it was just sort of like a fun little trio. Um, obviously very excited for married life and for Matthew's birth, but it has been a fun four years, um, you know, building a family and, you know, it's non-traditional. Um, my stepdaughter and I have a very close and good relationship. She has a good relationship with her dad. He's a great dad to her. I consider myself a great stepdad to her, um, you know, and she's kind of never known anything different. And it's, it's a very happy thing. But I will say the confluence of 2020 with the pandemic just sort of the fabric of society being ripped apart combined with being a an influence in a young kid's life and then ultimately moving in and living together at the end of 21 uh it it really kind of what i want to talk about in over the next few weeks it really shaped me in a lot of ways and made me think about what I actually believe. Because once you have a kid around and you're responsible for modeling good behavior, for moral formation, for answering for your actions, for your words, uh, it really makes you re-examine every part of your life. Um, so... That combined with watching the libertarian movement kind of change and not in a way that I necessarily agree with or understand, make no mistake, like I am a very Christian and conservative person all around. Uh, those values have not changed. If anything, they've strengthened. Um, but I am still a, a liberal, democratic, capitalistic person. I don't agree with monarchism or rejecting democracy. I am not an anarchist. I've never said I'm an anarchist. I've never been an anarchist. And to watch a lot of those people who were anarcho-capitalists turn into something that I don't necessarily understand or recognize has been kind of a jolt to me. Um, if anything, I largely believe a lot of the same things that I believed in 2016, but I've gone deeper over the last few years and trying to understand exactly why I believe what I believe and what are the moral foundations and what are the political foundations and the historical foundations for so much of what I believe. And I've done a lot of interviews as opposed to a lot of monologues because I just needed to give myself some time to think through some of this stuff. Like, am I actually a libertarian still? Like, am I actually someone that believes in the non-aggression principle? Like, do I think that government uh, 
plays a role in shaping people's um, morals, their economic life, their you know foreign policy. What what do I actually believe about all this stuff? Uh, fortunately, I've come to the conclusion that I was always largely correct. Uh, so that's not of any concern to me. But um, you know, I'm still working through some of that. But when you're so kind of questioning of oh wow like are these beliefs going to contribute like i definitely have different views on race than it seems like a lot of the bigger parts of the libertarian movement now um that's that's one huge break you know and how i i don't get the worship of donald trump and the excusal of everything that he does you know, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think the break is that I'm a, a bottom-down libertarian and they're a top-down libertarian, where I believe that uh, millions of individual little choices a day contribute to a culture, to a political system, and, you know, it's very difficult to control all of the human action that goes into making up an economy, a culture, all of that, a society. Uh, whereas I think a lot of my libertarian podcasting counterparts and now even a lot of Christian podcasting counterparts sort of believe that there is the ability to control from the top down. I mean, listen, the deep state is just killing it over the last decade. They have managed to successfully kill, prosecute, uh, false flag tens of thousands of events at this point without being discovered. It's really amazing how how good the deep state is uh, at, at all this stuff. And I, I just sort of look at it and I go, you are really being bamboozled by people who want to control your mode of thinking. Um, but I don't just want to be critical all the time. And it's very easy to just be critical of, of people. And that's sort of what I fell into. And I just decided I'd rather not be critical of people that I disagree with and talk about what I want a vision of the world to look like. What do I want my family to look like? What do I want my kids to believe? What do I want, um, you know, how do I want to interact with other people? And how do I want communities to flourish? And how do I want that political system and culture to, to develop? Um, and I just have a lot of different thoughts than sort of the left-leaning fakertarians and the right-leaning Mises folks in the libertarian movement it's sort of left me without a natural audience uh, which has hurt the numbers but I don't really care um, because I think that as I start to move in on discussing some of these things uh, that, I've, that I've talked about moral formation within yourself um, personal habits that can lead to a successful life that lessons that I've learned um, what makes up a successful community, uh, which contributes then to a successful political system and culture. That's really the direction that I'm going to be taking in the future. There will be more talk about Christianity and faith because you cannot separate those things. Uh, I'm just going to warn you, if you're an atheist and you want to eye roll, go for it. But it's just a, a huge piece of why I believe what I believe and I'll try to explain it to you in secular terms. Um, but I make no apologies for being Christian, for allowing it to contribute to my values. It's a huge reason why I'm a libertarian. 
because I don't believe that we should force others to believe uh, in our vision of values. But I also think you can't just say there should be no values, right? So, you know, I, I look at people who are fighting, like the people who are protesting outside of Dodger Stadium this week, who are protesting LGBT Pride Nights, they have every right to have that opinion and they have every right to believe what they believe and express those those viewpoints. Just as much as uh, the Dodgers have every right to hold a Pride Night <coughs> or a city hold a Pride Parade. Um, but what are you going to do when you want... <coughs> excuse me, either side of those coins uh, to start forcing their beliefs on the other side. I don't think that our culture wars are necessarily anything different. I'm reading a book called Culture Wars by James Davison Hunter from 1991, and you'd be amazed at how much of that book still rings true today, over 30 years later. You know, if you really understand history, uh, then you understand how little what of what we're going through is new. Um, you know, even what's happening in the libertarian movement happened in 88 to 92 with uh, Ron Paul and Rothbard leaving and saying, we don't support libertines, we're only supporting libertarians, and became very paleo, uh, and eventually ended up sort of becoming um, big government you know, uh, well, Ron Paul didn't. Rothbard really didn't. But a lot of the paleoconservative movement ended up in the Bush movement, which thought that we ought to use government to force people to think the way that we think and live the way that we think. Um, and I think that was problematic. But anyway, so I'm off on a long tangent. Uh, <laughs> just I've been excited to have this conversation with you. I thought maybe I ought to write some of this down. Um, I think I think I'll just throw this into the Patreon. Um, no, I'm gonna post it. I don't care if it's rambly. I'm I'm excited. I've got a lot to say to you guys, uh, and I'm I'm a, I'm a little tired. Obviously, I haven't been sleeping that much with a five day old. Um, but I, I let, let me talk about his name. So. So we found out, uh, let me fast forward, rewind back to when we got married. So, you know, our first date, Reagan said, I want seven kids. And I always wanted kids, but I never thought that I would have kids. So, you know, here we are. <laughs> and if it had just been my wife, my stepdaughter, and I, I would have been perfectly content. My wife would not have been. She comes from a big family and wanted to recreate that. But that was the deal breaker. That was from the first time we ever met. That's what she wanted. Said it was a deal breaker, and so it's like, you know, stay friends, or if you want to become romantically involved, then you've got to have a lot of kids. Um, so when we got married, she immediately got pregnant, because her body is, you know, obviously oldest of 11, so it's genetic. Obviously, my seed is very powerful with my high testosterone, and, you know, she got pregnant immediately. But then we lost the baby uh, at five weeks. So, okay. All right. Well, this is disappointing. This is very devastating for her. But, you know, it, everyone 
Miscar- miscarriage is not everyone has a miscarriage, but they're common, right? Um, we decided from the first one to be open about it. There is a thing with miscarriages that I don't understand, and that is the attitude that you have a miscarriage in silence and you don't tell anyone. Let's not tell the people we're pregnant, because what if you have a miscarriage? You don't want to be embarrassed or ashamed in front of your friends and family. But those are the people who need to come around you the most at that time. You know, if they're going to celebrate with you when you have the, the pregnancy test, why wouldn't you want them there sitting next to you and lamenting with you in community when you've lost the baby? Um, and that's really how we felt about it and decided to be open about it with our friends and family. And she was open about it on her Instagram uh, and ha- obviously has a large following of, of moms, Christian homeschool moms. And then we got pregnant again. Again, five weeks, lost the baby. That happened five times. Um, is that correct? Yes, because this is our sixth pregnancy. Matthew's our sixth pregnancy. And then she has my stepdaughter, who's her seventh. So uh, this period, I was never a zealot about pro-life issues. But I will tell you, when you were holding your five-week-old child in your hand after your wife has just had a miscarriage, and you then have to decide... Like, what do you do with this little person that has eyes and the nubs of fingers and toes? Um, That particular one may have been eight weeks. Five to eight weeks. I cannot remember. They kind of blur together. But that was a powerful moment for me and, and, and kind of understanding human life. And then with Matthew going in at eight weeks and hearing his heartbeat um, a couple days before he was eight weeks old, uh, like, I don't, I don't know how I could go through these things and experience these things and not see the humanity of the, the children that we lost and the child that we eventually gave birth to. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, I will say that while I I don't agree that abortion is healthcare, abortion and the act of of taking the life of a child is an act of murder and therefore not healthcare unless it is. Uh, a function of the mom needing to survive a DNC because the child has already passed. Um, these are, these are different than the intentional willful ending of the pregnancy for the sake of birth control. Um, I do have more empathy for people who are on the pro-choice side who argue that pregnancy is a uniquely and wholly feminine experience, and it is very difficult for a man to understand. I was shocked at the amount of things that I did not know through this. 
uh, I don't have the same abilities as my wife. Not only just to give birth, that's not what I mean, but like now that he's here, I, I saw some video, now I'm getting spammed with like newborn videos and, and all that on my Instagram, but you know, this guy was talking about how the, the, you know, little Matthew here thinks of himself as an extension of his mom. And the reason that kids say dad first is usually it's a little phonetically easier, but then also it's the first person outside of mom and baby that they recognize as an independent outside force. Because for the first few months, they still consider themselves a piece of their mother. Uh, so, um, honestly, I just touched him to make sure he was still breathing. I don't know if you do that, if you all had kids and you're like, he's so still, she's so still, I need to make sure they're alive. Um, and he is, he's just napping. He loves the sound of my voice when he came out of, uh, mama and they handed me to him for the first time and he heard my voice. He like lopped his head over to look at me. Uh, did the same with his sister, and obviously when he hears his mom's voice, he like flops his head over. It's very cute. Uh, they hear your voice inside the womb, and they get to know the people that are in the house and build a bond with them. You know, he, in utero, was doing some of the things that he does now. I, I mean, it really kind of hit me when my sister-in-law gave birth, and she said, you know, when he was in utero, he would kind of like scratch his head. Uh, when he was soothing and then as a newborn, he would do the same thing and still does when he's feeding, you know, she could feel that child doing child things <laughs> in the womb. I, I don't think there's been a point from conception to birth where Reagan and I ever felt like this was anything other than a child. There wasn't a biological point where this started to become a human you know, stopped being a clump of cells. Um, but I do understand the argument from the other side that says men, not only can men not understand, it's a uniquely feminine experience. And then there's also, yeah, I know there's the trans stuff, but we're not going to get into gender right now. Um, you know, if I walked away, she's, she's sort of stuck. Um, and I can't understand what her body went through and her body went through so much and still is going through so much. You know, she traded one set of inconveniences for another set of inconveniences, you know, being pregnant. Um, and there's not much biologically here that I can do other than just kind of hold him right now while she's napping at three in the afternoon. While I'm talking to you, uh, it is the responsibility at the end of the day of the mom. And they would argue that it is the choice of the mom. I think that completely removes the ethics of the situation of whether or not you have the ability to choose to end that life or not based on your own discomfort, economic situation, whatever. Um, but I do understand and have so much more appreciation for what women go through when giving birth, the hormones, the sickness, the anxieties, the um, birth trauma, 
You know, my wife had a traumatic birth with her first, and that just lived and sat with her until the moment that Matthew came out. I mean, it was something that I didn't know she was fully carrying until we actually got to uh, the birth. Um, So I, I just really appreciate my wife and everything that she's done and everyone all the mamas out there and my mama, <laughs> I have so much more appreciation for my mom now. Um, it, it truly is just a miraculous thing to carry a child and to take care of a child and to give birth. And for the months afterwards, it's just, I can't thank all of you enough for what you've done and what you do. Uh, and the, the sacrificing that you have to make is just incredible. Like it's constant discomfort. You know, I guess I just didn't know the magnitude with which a child kicked her all day long from the inside and all night long and how little sleep she was going to get before she gave birth. Uh, I don't know. In my simplistic man mind, it was just like a cut and dry thing and was... Um, like you go and you have the baby and then all this, you know, then that's when the trouble starts and you don't get to sleep and, you know, um, you know, you gain some weight, but that's a little uncomfortable, but the intricacies of the discomfort that pregnant women and new moms have to go through, um, God bless you <laughs> because this little man right here is exactly like his daddy. And as soon as he's even slightly uncomfortable, he starts throwing a little fit and is full drama. Um, I, uh, no, I, I, let, let me talk about the actual birth. You know, my wife uh, had a C-section the first time and wanted to have a V-back which is giving a vaginal birth after a C-section. And there's some risk to that because the original tear could rip open. And uh, that's bad in case you don't know anything about medical stuff. Um, but we have had a very long four years together. Our relationship has been amazing. We have had one fight and all of that time. But, you know, she went, we met when she was in the middle of pregnancy hormones and a divorce and custody issues. And then she got sued by her former company for non-compete and lost a judgment, um, which put some very significant financial constraints on our lives uh, and some tough choices in the months ahead for us financially. Um, on top of all the medical bills, I mean, before we got to the hospital, I think it was twenty to $30,000 in medical bills just for him because of the high-risk nature of the pregnancy. Um, and then, you know, five miscarriages. On top of being married for the first time, really, like, she got married before, but they didn't really live together. It was a very quick thing. Um, and I'm not easy to live with. I'm a very grumpy person. I'm a very, uh, I love my private time and personal space and quiet time. And I'm very bitchy if I'm slightly annoyed or uncomfortable. 
and she just takes all that with such grace and is such a sweet human being. And she is as sweet and as loving as she seems on social media. Um, you know, so it's been a very long, stressful period and she has taken a lot of L's <laughs> and obviously we have the winds of having like a very peaceful, happy home life here and a house that we're renting that we love in downtown with neighbors that we love and our family lives are all great. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be blessed for, but she has, she's just taken all of these L's in such a, a dignified and graceful way that I wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, and then there's just been the anxiety of having the high risk pregnancy and interviewing like 10 OBs, not to find the one that would actually do what she wanted, but the ones that would tell her the truth and would at least entertain her ideas. Because what we have found is I've gone through some health stuff and she's gone through some health stuff over the last couple of years. In the beginning, early especially, there was an attitude from nurses and doctors that I think was a hangover from COVID that was not one experience. It was probably a dozen between the two of us where asking questions of a nurse or doctor in a medical situation was like questioning a zealot about the existence of their deity. It was, I think there was a hangover in the medical system of people who worked in the medical system that dealt with the stress, and I would say trauma in some cases, of the COVID era. And they did not come out on the other side with a good bedside manner that allowed for their patients to question them and even basic things. There was a lot of eye rolling and guffawing and okay, let me explain this one more time. That sort of attitude, uh, which does not ingratiate you to a provider whatsoever. So, you know, we went to IU Health uh, for her first OB. 30,000 employees, biggest hospital network in the state, connected to the university. Um, second is where we went, St. Vincent's, I think. And it has, I think, like 3,200, 3, right? So it's like huge difference. IU Health is huge. And we went to an OB that said that she could probably get pregnant and have a C-section, but her scar was so thin from her uh, C-section that she was probably going to hemorrhage and get a hysterectomy. So if we could get pregnant, she was going to either die or this would be our only child. Now that sat with me through the whole thing because I lose my wife, I lose my stepdaughter and the child she's carrying, and my life is... Uh, I have fought hard <laughs> to have the life that I have now and losing it is something that I have not carried well for uh, over a year now. And we talked about adoption, but that comes with its own, you know, I've got friends who spent 50 grand and lost it on adoptions that they did not take home. <laughs> so that's not, uh, you know, and that's getting tougher with sort of the post uh, 
Roe v. Wade ending and, you know, white people adopting babies is a bad thing. And uh, I just, man, you, you want to talk about rage? Be someone who has lost two children uh, post-Dobbs that it would love to bless a child with a stable, happy, healthy home that does not have the ability to access it and watch pro-abortion protesters talk about how adoption should be illegal. I am too emotional to talk about that subject, uh, but my I, I was just the rage that I had for those people. That somehow it's it's racist or colonizing if you want to help a mom and a child in need. And I understand that there are complications that come with that and fostering and adoption and uh but I just don't get the the backwards thinking of that. Um but it was very difficult to go through the Dobbs ruling in the middle of our miscarriages. Um, it, not only are we emotional about it, but you're holding the week of the Dobbs decision, a five or six week old child in your hands. And people are arguing that that's not a child. I just can't, uh, I, I can't articulate the feelings around it, so I'm not going to try. I think you can hear it in my voice, but um, it was a very difficult emotional time for us. Um, so there's the stress of you know her being told she may not get pregnant. We go to this IU fertility doctor, uh, Rebecca Pearson. I'll never forget her name. And because we said we didn't want to do IVF, I do not begrudge anyone that makes that choice. Uh, it just ethically was not the, the choice that Reagan and I wanted to make. Um, and when that doctor found out that we were not interested in IVF and there was no money to be made, our meeting was 15 minutes. She was mostly upset that we wouldn't put a mask on our three-year-old who'd never worn a mask in her life. And I'm not about to start. She just couldn't get over the fact that we weren't wearing masks when we walked in and uh, we weren't going, we put them on because she asked politely, but then we weren't, I, I just said, no, I'm not going to put a mask on her. She's not going to keep it on. There's no reason for it. I mean, this is like late 22, mid 20. I think this was like July or August of 22. There's zero point to wearing a mask for COVID purposes at that point. You know it. I know it. We had an experience in the hospital where they lost a test for this anti-antibiotic-resistant uh, E. coli that Reagan had that wound her up in the hospital about six or seven months into her pregnancy. And they knew she didn't have it because she was alive and the baby was alive, but because they had lost the test, they, they wanted all of our guests uh, that we had at the hospital to wear a gown, not a mask, not a COVID Tyvek suit, just a, a yellow apron with long sleeves. Because somehow that was going to protect them from an E. coli virus that Reagan would basically have to pee or poop 
on someone in the room for it to spread. Uh, they Guests didn't have to wear gloves. Everybody knew it was complete insanity. The doctors knew it. The nurses knew it. The one that was uh, enforcing it was wearing a mask. And every other nurse that didn't wear a mask didn't enforce it. So do the math there. Uh, but it's hospital policy. So nobody wants to get in trouble because, you know, you'd notice the nurse wouldn't have it on. But then when the attending was on the floor, they would then magically start wearing the thing. It's just complete nonsense. That's the thing about the COVID era that drove me nuts is that we're doing things like, well, if you're not vaccinated, then you have to wear a mask in late 21. Okay, well, that's not going to do anything. And if you got the vaccination to prevent the spread, which we now know is complete bullshit, uh, if you want me to wear a mask to prevent me from spreading the virus to you, who can no longer get it because of your antibodies because of the shot? That doesn't make any sense. You know it, the CDC does, knows it, and it's a scarlet letter to make sure that everybody knows that you're not yet vaccinated. And it's a pressure tactic. That's all it ever was. But people follow along with all of these dumb rules because they don't want to get other people in trouble. Um, you know, and I just said to the nurse who was kind of a ball buster about it, like, I was like, look, these people have been here in here for 30 minutes. If they have it, they've got it. If she had it, I'd have it. And you'd have it. Because we're just magically putting on these gowns a day and a half into her recovery stay. So why are we doing this? She's like, well, it's hospital policy. I go, yeah, but it's a dumb policy. Why are we doing it? So long story short, I'm the reason that doctors and nurses sigh when you ask them questions. But it was just so silly. It was just, she knew it was silly. And she knew I was right. Um, but this Rebecca Pearson, this uh, fertility doctor sits across from us in July or August of last year and says, well, the science just hasn't caught up with why you're miscarrying. We don't know the answer. And so I say, well, so are we just supposed to have to, six pregnancies for the rest of our life? Like, it's like, well, you could do things like condoms or maybe you could get a vasectomy or maybe she could get pregnant. We just don't know the answer. <sighs> okay. And that was the extent of the information. And so my wife said, well, we don't have his semen analysis in yet. Oh, well, that won't make a difference because he's, he's, uh, okay. They haven't run really any tests on her. We leave completely defeated. Um, well, it's over. We're not going to have a kid. I initially thought it was kind of a positive thing, but she was like, no dummy. They have nothing for us. We're not going to have a kid. So... I just say to her, like, look, there's got, no is not an answer. There's an expert or somebody else. Let's find other doctors. And we ended up finding Magnificat Family Medicine here in Indianapolis. It's run by a doctor named Casey Del Coco. She's a, an aggressive Catholic. <laughs> you go into this, uh, we have all switched our care other than my stepdaughter to Del Coco and, and her practice. And, um, I'll tell you why, you know, you go in and there's rosaries everywhere and there's angels holding babies and, uh, they pray with you at the end of your thing. And they do what's called NAPRO technology where what we didn't know 
is that like two weeks or so after Rebecca Pearson and her horrible diagnosis, which was completely wrong, Reagan would get pregnant again. Um, we actually found out the morning of the morning of the crack baby party for the pat down on October 14th. I found out that I owed 10 grand in taxes. Uh, and then the next morning I found out we were having another baby. Um, and I'll be honest, I was not excited because I knew that if my wife lost this child, um, it would be a blow to her emotional state that she would eventually get through, but it would be very difficult. She's a very resilient, tough woman um, that fights for what she wants. Her, her perseverance is amazing and one of the things that I love about her. But I can't honestly tell you that I was excited um, because here we go again. So, but we get in, you know, we call this doctor and their first appointment is two years out at Magnificon. And then when she's about to hang up, she goes, oh, wait, someone just canceled. Uh, Can you come in tomorrow at 1130 or whatever? I said, absolutely. We show up at 1130. I'm sorry, we can't see you. Would you like to make an appointment for two years from now? And we're just heartbroken. And we're like, yeah, I guess. But can we be on the waiting list? And they said, yes. And we're standing there and they go, wait, something just cleared up. Someone was on the phone canceling their appointment and we got in the next day. And my wife immediately started getting uh, these blood thinner shots and taking progesterone, synthetic, not synthetic. I, I, I think it was synthetic progesterone. Um, the FDA banned something similar, but not exact. I thought it was the exact same thing she was taking. It was not. Um, but every doctor that we interviewed that was an OB after that questioned why she was on Levinox and questioned why she was on progesterone. If you don't know what progesterone is, it's the hormone that keeps you pregnant. Uh and your body creates it until your placenta kicks in and creates it. And the ovaries create the progesterone for the placenta, keep everything healthy. My wife had very low progesterone the entire time until the very end. Um, and if your progesterone is low, it signals to the body that you aren't pregnant anymore and it clears your system. There was also a huge blood clot next to the baby at week eight when we did our first ultrasound. Um, so that first ultrasound is one of the best moments of our life, um, because we made it to week eight and there was a heartbeat, but there were probably three more ultrasounds that we went in for because we thought the baby was not alive because it wouldn't move, um, or there would be something in her body that would change. And every time the baby was doing great. And there was also a a test that, you know, the baby had Down syndrome. So for for about three weeks, we were told that we were having a baby with Down syndrome. Um, 96, I think the number is, percent of children with Down syndrome are aborted. There's absolutely no reason to ever abort the life of someone with Down syndrome. They are a precious gift to the world. Uh, and if you were to walk up and shoot a person with Down syndrome in the head, 
not only would you be charged with murder, you would have the hatred and ire of every person in your community for killing someone with special needs. And yet 96% of people choose to end the life of a person with Down syndrome. And that was never on the table for us. We were going to love that child with all of our heart. Uh, and I have a special resentment now, I think, for people who make that opposite choice. Uh, I want to be clear. I'm very pro-life now. <laughs> uh, and by that, I mean, if, if you are using abortion as birth control, I, I think it's unconscionable. Um, but there are a lot of other circumstances that arise, um, that, that make it a healthcare issue. And honestly, I think it's incumbent. My wife has been trying for a year and a half to start a local chapter of, um, Embracing Grace, which is a special care organization for women who are in desperate situations uh, and have decided not to have an abortion but still need support. It's actually harder to start an organization than it should be. Um, but that, I think, um, you know, is is the model. If you are – my wife is far more pro-life than I am, but, you know, you have to support these moms who are in dire situations. It's the job of the church. It often is the church. Uh, it is not the people who are usually pro-choice that are supporting these organizations. It's people that are pro-life that then set up the organizations like Young Life or Embracing Grace, but then give care to those moms. Um, so, anyways, hopping back, uh, we we meet we go to this to this doctor, and it's a, been a wonderful experience. You know, we. We were told by the other OBs and fertility people that progesterone's a myth and Lovinox is a myth and Casey Del Coco is a freak. And uh, yet she has an 86% success rate with births. And those doctors tell people that they're not able to have kids when they're perfectly able to have kids. And I have uh, such anger <laughs> for that doctor. Because I got a message from a couple people when I told that story on Facebook that said that they didn't have kids because that was the end of their road. And I'm here to tell you there's never a no to those answers. There's somebody out there that can help you. I'm not saying it's Magnificat. I'm not saying it has to be a crunchy, holistic doctor or a Catholic doctor that's, you know, super pro-life and against IVF. So they try 17 different other things. But... You know, we went to one doctor that had the sterilization charts for women in their office and were wearing the Ruth Bader Ginsburg pins, and they're telling us there's nothing that can be done and they don't know what they can do. Uh, and then the doctors who aren't going to do IVF uh, looked at me and said, there's 17 things that could be wrong with you and 25 with you, and we're going to test every single one of them. And by testing every single one of them, I found out that I have a pituitary tumor that raised my prolactin, um, which I now have under control, but I could be breastfeeding right now if it weren't for those tests. I found out two other medical issues because of all of those tests because they actually gave a shit. The doctor that I have seen for six, since I was 16 years old 
when I was 330 pounds at 28 sitting in front of him who decided not to test my blood sugar or run a panel on my cholesterol, who I, I, I just, I don't, who, who will give me a prescription for anything I want a prescription for, uh, but doesn't take a holistic view of my health versus Magnificat, where my doctor is an absolute ball buster on my diet and exercise and wants me off all of my different medicines. Um, you know, I am pre-diabetic, uh, through hard work, getting my blood sugar under control. My blood pressure is under control. I cannot tell you the difference that that has made in my life. If you are overweight, if you are, every single person listening to this should get a blood pressure cuff because getting my blood pressure under control and down 30 points changed my relationship with my wife, how I parent my stepdaughter, how I deal with work situations, how I respond to any stressful situation. Uh, I am able to achieve a peaceful, relaxed demeanor most of the time. I just can't tell you how much it really helps to get your blood pressure under control. And I was a guy that was very resistant to going to the doctor because if I went to the doctor, I'd find out there was something wrong and then I have to get on medicine and I don't want to be sick and blah, 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 blah. But one of the most empowering things has been taking control of my health, getting all these various issues under control, getting IVs and MRIs and blood pressure cuffs and checking blood sugar and all that stuff. Uh, when you're not doing it, it seems really scary and really awful. But when you are doing it, you feel great. And I owe it to my kids, to my wife, to the people that love me, uh, to be the best version of myself. And if you're listening to me and you are not checking those things regularly and getting your regular blood panels, you have to start. Uh, the last year, year and a half of my life has been so greatly improved by checking to see where I'm at and then making improvements. And I think it's just, it's blood, blood tests every six months for the rest of my life are great. And that's really, you know, going to this doctor that really like looks at a comprehensive view of life and we're going to get people healthy and we're going to check everything, not as a money grab, but just because that's the right thing to do. Uh, it's really beneficial, you know, and it doesn't have to be a pro-life doctor. You know, I met with a guy named Dr. Jacob DeWitt who runs a, uh, you know, we've done an episode on it, the direct primary care physician where you pay him like a hundred, 200 bucks a month. You go in and see them. They're your doctor. They'd run panels all the time. They help you achieve your goals. They get your weight down. They get you samples. It was night and day the couple times that I met with him before I, you know, decided on the doctor, Dr. Alley, that I'm seeing now. Compared to my big hospital system doctor that I've seen since I was a kid, I mean, no disrespect to that doctor. He was a nice man. But when you were a physician at something like Hendricks Regional Hospital, you're given a roadmap and you're told, prescribe 80% generic and here's the plans for these things and that those things and don't do this if you can't can avoid it and blah 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 you know I had to go in and advocate for myself uh, 
and I am the worst person to like that was part of my thing with the vaccine and COVID and why I didn't do nearly the content that like other libertarian podcasts like I am not going to make those decisions for you. I am uninformed about all of this stuff and I can talk about what the government morally should or should not do and the ethics of social situations but I'm not going to do a show on the mRNA, mRNA vaccine, whether you should take it and if it's killing a bunch. Of, like, I have no clue. And I have no business trying to pretend to be your doctor. I can't even be my own doctor that well. <laughs> and I need an expert. And, you know, if you are in a situation where you are just not getting the results with your doctor, uh, then you need to go find a different doctor, preferably a private practice doctor. Someone that is not part of a big medical system that has a direct financial incentive in seeing you succeed, and it isn't just your regular copay. Now, my doctor takes a copay, but they have a, a private practice driven by uh, a desire to see people improve their health and healing the health of the whole family. Um, and I, I, I just think if you're, if anything in life, a lawyer, a doctor, I think we are born with these ideas that these doctors are these doctors and lawyers and these professions that you want, your parents want you to go into, and they'll be so proud of you if you get a law degree or a doctorate. And we just think that everybody who succeeds in those fields are, are knowledgeable and it's just some of them suck. Some of them are not good at their jobs. Some of them are amazing at their jobs. We had amazing care at St. Vincent's Hospital, Women's Hospital. It's amazing. It was the complete opposite of IU Health. Um, you know, Magnificat referred us to Axia, OBGYNs. Reagan interviewed all the doctors there, found the two that she liked, had amazing care. And one of the most redeeming things about this birth is that my wife, who had all these losses, had all these other like setbacks, including marrying me, ended up having the birth that she wanted to have in a way that was safe, healthy, effective. Uh, it was a hugely redeeming for her after the disaster that was her first birth and the high risk, I was more excited for my wife to get everything that she wanted than I was as much as I was to meet him. Like those of you who are married or, or partnered up, like, you know, if your, your, your loved one is kind of going through like a, a hard time and then they like, get a victory. <laughs> it's just a fantastic experience. It's, it's as good, if not better than that happening to you, you know, um, you know, the birth was just, it was phenomenal because of Magnificant, because of Axia, because of the doctors and nurses at St. Vincent's women's hospital, phenomenal care, phenomenal people, the dozens of people that we've seen, in those places have just been awesome. And you can't let like your bad experiences at one place or another, you know, kind of 
let you think that all doctors are that way or we got this answer so we need to kind of you know just let's paint with a broad brush and stop trying and blah 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 um where there's life there is hope and you know uh i thought in 2015 16 that i would never meet someone like reagan um I never thought that I would have a redeeming relationship like this, uh, that she and I are so perfectly suited together. I never thought I would have kids. I never thought I would be, you know, financially doing okay, despite the many bills that we have. Please hit the Patreon. Um, <clears throat> but... I just wake up every day excited to work at Bob and Tom, to do the pat down, to do this, to do consulting for my podcasting, to work with clients, to like, I don't work. Like I, I I I am the luckiest man on earth. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow or more likely die of a heart attack, uh, then I want you to know that I've really ended up achieving every dream I ever had as a kid before I was at the age of 40. I got to work at the Motor Speedway. I got to work in radio. I got to work for Bob and Tom. I got to have my own show. I got to uh, work with great people where, you know, I mean, Reagan and I haven't had to buy a single thing for this kid because so many people signed up on our registry and the pat-down audience and our family and friends that we literally have every single thing that we need. If you're a Christian and you're familiar with the story of George Mueller, it just has felt like that so much. Like, God has provided for every need that we have, and we have had to buy nothing. Um, and we're just so grateful for that. But I, I look at God um, taking two broken people, coming out of uh, broken situations, and putting them together uh and giving them the relationship that they deserve. And then blessing us with two kids and keeping her safe and healthy and giving her the birth that she wanted, giving birth to a healthy baby little boy. Like being followed up by my childhood heroes, like Tom messaging me, you know, saying how, how's, how's it going and the love that we've gotten from our family. I mean, guys, I got to hold my kid for like less than 15 minutes for the first three days because we had so many people coming through to see him and talk to him and so many people checking up. Uh, just the amount of people that prayed for him. So... That is why we decided to name him. Hold on, I'm going to blow my nose. So that is why we decided to name him Matthew Christopher. Um, Matthew means gift of God. Christopher means Christ bearer. It, uh, Reagan really wanted to name him Christopher Miles Spangle Jr. And I, <laughs> I'm a play dear leader on the radio, but I'm not an egomaniac. I mean, if you have a junior, 
okay, but I just uh, felt like from a place of humility, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Uh, but Christopher was her dream name. Um, that was part of it, but we really felt like the hundreds of people through our church, through our audiences, through our social media that have, have prayed for him, have prayed for us, um, the gifts that we've been given, the redemption in our uh, dating lives and marriages and um, the gift that we've been given in him. We wanted a name that would reflect all of that. And, you know, we, we are raising our daughter to be Christian and we're going to raise him to be Christian and to do great things for the kingdom. And uh, we're just very grateful. In conclusion, um, I'm just in a great place in life and I have no business, uh, trying to become a life coach for you. Uh, and I don't want to do that, but I have to set the table for you, uh, for where we're headed and what kind of show I want to do. Cause when you tune in every week, I want to be open and honest about where I've screwed up <laughs> and how I've gotten here because I want you to be helped by my story uh, and by our life. Uh, but I do not have any intention of becoming like some sort of life coach. Um, I just want to be open and honest with you and a little more personal than I've been over the last few years uh, and continue to be open and honest in some of these monologues and panel discussions and interviews uh, and, you know, kind of where the content's going. Um, I will still continue to do some of the Young Voices interviews about specific issues, but I'm constantly thinking about these issues of moral formation within my own household, within my family, within myself. I'm constantly now thinking about, you know, criticism and I don't mean negative criticism I mean analyzing not just culture and I know everybody just wants culture because talking about policy I mean my numbers prove it talking about just specific policy people don't want that uh they're they're not interested in that they're trying really the show set the template for so many people people are just trying to figure out what's going on you know, uh, what, what is going on in current events. And so while all those other libertarian shows were interviewing other libertarians about libertarian philosophy, we did some of that, but we were talking about current events and now that's all everybody does. Uh, and I think that's really good and that's important. Um, and I think a lot of them are wrong and I have a unique, different perspective than a lot of this partly influenced by my faith, partly influenced by my experience, partly influenced by my, aggressive reading. Um, you know, I've worked really hard to kind of get myself up to speed on history and politics and philosophy, and I'm still not there. Like, part of my hesitancy to talk, uh, you know, someone said, look, I don't want to hear these interviews. I want to hear what you think. That's why I tune in. And it's hard to say what you think when you don't know what you think, and you don't feel you have the ability to set that foundation for people, because you are trying to get a hold of like, whoa, okay, what do I believe? 
Um, but I feel like I'm there. And, you know, I really want to talk about family. I want to talk about moral formation for yourself. I want to talk about helping you succeed in your, you know, your personal professional lives and, and really in your interpersonal lives. That's what we always have talked about a lot here. Um, I want to talk about the ex- American experiment. Um, why is America exceptional? Why is it important? Um, I want to get into the debates on some of the history stuff. Like I'm, I'm not, honestly, I'm not really moved or interested in a lot of the sexuality debates. I'm just not. I think that the question is pretty simple. Like, are you going to force somebody to do what you want? Are you going to rob somebody of their ability to live their life as they see fit? Are you going to force your lifestyle into my family? Right? Like, um, I mean, I have definite opinions, but I'm, I'm just not like, I just look at the daily wire and I go, how is this interesting to anybody? Like all these hosts just have nothing but trans content on their TikTok. Like I've got racing <laughs> and baby videos and they've got trans people. And I just think that's like a weird thing for them and a little suspect. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we're just in such a transitionary epical moment in this country, in the world that, AI and technology are just going to shape things and what it means to be human is going to be tested to the limits. And I'm deeply concerned with men and the disappearance of healthy relationships. I, I mean, it's always been a thread of the show is how to build community. And I want to dig in deeper and be a little more aggressive in the content and, uh, take less of a break (laughs) now that we're kind of through this stressful period. I know the the easy part's kind of beginning, right, Matthew? All he does is just sit around, fart, and suck boobs, so just like his daddy. Um, But, you know, I really wanted to just talk to you about this experience and, and, and kind of talk about some of the stuff. I've just been thinking about this show for like three, four weeks and, and what I wanted to say, and I don't know if that I hit the mark, but Uh, I thank you for listening. I thank you for subscribing to the show, for supporting the show, for being a patron of the show. Um, You all are great friends to me, and I thank you so much that you give even a tiny crap about what I think. Uh, I am so humbled by that, and I think about this audience all the time and what I want to say and uh, the conversation I want to have with you. I I do regret that this has kind of become a one-way conversation, and I get that because it, it sort of seems like I uh, have been a little checked out. I have not been checked out. I have been working to get to this point. Um, but I want to have the two-way conversation with you. Uh, the best way to do that is join the We Are Libertarians Facebook group, or go to chrisbangle.com and comment on the episode in the comments on the threads. Or you can send me an email, chris at chrisbangle.com. Uh, and I can read those emails on the show and we can have a conversation that way too. Um, you know, if you hear things that you disagree with, if you hear things that you would love a perspective on, if there's something you want answered, if there's uh, 
you know, a question that you have about current events or how things operate, then please send me an email. I would love, love to converse with this audience again in a much deeper way. I feel like I'm missing that. If you're in the Patreon, you can comment in the Patreon. Um, I just appreciate you guys so much. Everything that I get to do is from this experience. Um, we Are Libertarians helped me get the experience that I could get the job at Bob and Tom, which helped me get the pat down, which helped me get the podcast consulting gigs, which helped me, you know, start the podcast about podcasting and, uh, you know, now has blessed my family enough that things are tight, but my wife doesn't have to work and with my multiple streams of income and everything, including my wife, because my mother-in-law had her add uh, the Facebook group and had me on Facebook and I think was low-key trying to set us up. So this podcast helped me eventually meet my wife, which led to my kids. And uh, every good thing in my life, including all my best friends, including my closest friends, including um, your trust, all these things came from We Are Libertarians and The Chris Spangle Show. And I am just so thankful for all of you. Uh, for those of you who have stuck around that still listen and still participate. Um, and, and for those who are on the Patreon, it's just a huge, huge... Um, blessing to me and I'm really cannot thank everyone here enough because I am so excited when I'm out in public and someone recognizes me and I think it's going to be from Bob and Tom or the pat down because those are larger audiences and it's someone from this audience because this is my first love this is uh, the audience that I will I will never quit doing this show um, you know, there may be periods where like the last little bit where I kind of am like, all right, I'm going to get something in the feed. I'm going to try and make it as interesting as possible, but I am at my wits end, <laughs> um, because things are just crazy. Um, but you know, this, this audience has given me everything and I just love you guys so much. So thank you so much for listening here to the Chris Spangle show. Uh, you know, as always, if you got something out of this, please share it with your friends please send me a note. Please converse with me. Please hit up the Patreon. Uh, if you get something out of the show, uh, if you, you know, love to hear me talk about something, I'll take your recommendations and your questions. Uh, I just, I look forward to kind of the next phase of the show. Don't worry, Harry and all those guys are not going anywhere. Um, but I'm committed to getting something in this feed by Saturday every week. And if not Saturday, then Monday at the latest. So, you know, when I can do the panel show with my friends, I'm going to keep doing that. That's not going away. That'll never change. It's just very difficult. So I've got to do monologues and, and uh, you know, uh, interviews and stuff like that to make sure that I'm getting something in the feed every Saturday. That's my, that's my job with this. This is my job. I consider it work. It is work, um, especially as there are patrons, like the fact that people are supporting this show means that every Saturday I've got to do a job. So, um, and unfortunately with our panel stuff, it just, it's, uh, we're not all like young, single college age bozos like we were 10 years ago. 
Um, so I'm, I'm having to adapt. I've have, I've been adapting and I know those of you who just didn't like that change are gone. And those of you who don't mind it have stayed. And so it's a great opportunity for us to continue down this path. And I thank you so much for subscribing. So, uh, I will quit rambling now. I'm going to put this little bundle of joy next to his mama so she can feed. And, uh, then I'm going to, uh, more families coming over. Every day, we've had family over. <laughs> so, and it's not even hers. It's really mine. Mine has been over more than hers. She's got, a, like, 17 people in her nuclear family. And I've got eight. But they're they're the ones that are coming around. It's, it's very funny. So, her family's kind of not rushed us. But all good stuff. Not complaining. I'm truly, truly thankful for all of it. So thanks for listening to The Chris Spangle Show. We'll see you again here next week.